Bible study, Hosea chapter 6. As you find yourself there, Father, we ask that you would just once again speak to our hearts. These books of the Old Testament oftentimes get ignored. And we know that all of Scripture is profitable. So we desire to be encouraged, benefited, spoken to. Uh, Lord, uh, this is important for us to look at and to consider these things that are being written. Lord, we see, we can make application for today. And as Israel was in a place where externally things looked good, uh, they uh, were doing well economically, even militarily, but inwardly, spiritually, they were very sick and following after the idols. We can see the same things happening today in our culture, in our society, um, and Lord, so we want to be able to be encouraged in your word. This is written for us, even though this was... 2,600 years ago, uh, we want to be able to uh, just come and be able to be blessed uh, by studying your word. And uh, so we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter 6, keep in mind, Hosea is ministering to the house of Israel. And he's ministering during the time of Jeroboam II that is ruling. And Uzziah is down in Judah that is ruling in both of the nations were doing well economically, militarily. Uh, you see, Uzziah was one that was even an inventor of weaponry. He fortified the cities. He was one that helped the, the agriculture down there. So he was a strong leader for over 50 years. But then also Jeroboam II, that there was benefit that, of the Assyrians that had declined at this time. Again, this is uh, 2,800 years ago, this is during the time uh, that the Assyrians had declined in power for a short time before they would raise the power in about 750 BC, and then they would eventually come and take the 10 northern tribes off into captivity. So even though things looked good externally to the, to the two nations, remember the nations had split after the reign of Solomon during the reign of Rehoboam, that idol worship was plaguing the land and disobedience and other things that were taking place that we're going to see the condition of the house of Israel. So Hosea, we don't know anything about him except, you know, his genealogy. And he was told, as uh, he's the son of Berai, uh, he was told to take a, a wife of harlotry, and he does. And uh, he has three children. We know two of those children were born out of harlotry. In other words, that she would go and she would commit spiritual adultery or physical adulteries and uh, harlotry. And so Hosea was feeling spiritually what was going on in the heart of the Lord as he's going to give a difficult message of judgment that's going to come and, and a call to return to him and a brokenhearted father that is saying that just as Hosea would feel some of the things that were going on in the heart of God the Father is he saw a nation that had committed harlotry spiritually. So all these things that we've been looking at. So chapter 6, as we continue, that come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. So as we open up the chapter, again, the response of God's people in Israel is say, Call upon the Lord, and here that scholars will tell you that this is speaking as we move into chapter 6. The chapter 5 ended uh, with uh, this, this wonderful promise. After impending judgment would come to Israel, and also 
There's the mention of Judah with that uh, judgment that would come, and eventually, a little over 100 years after the 10 northern tribes are taken off by the Assyrians, that we know that, that the house of Judah would go off into captivity by the Babylonians. But the end of chapter 5 is, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, and he will bind us up. So as we read this, and, and again, many commentators are pointing to the time when they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah in the time of the restoration of Israel. We're going to talk a little bit about that on Sunday. On Sunday, as we closed um, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, uh, the ones who killed the prophet and stoned the prophets, how I long to gather you to myself as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come. And now your house is left to you desolate, and you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus, he said, you're not going to see me again until you say this. Now, he, they had cried out that messianic title, ascribing the title Messiah from Psalm 118 to him in the triumphal entry. Jesus says, you're not going to see me again until you say that. And he's speaking of a future time. He's speaking of a time when Israel's going to be restored. And I think it's important for us to understand that because you see, once again, Israel takes center stage when it comes to end-time prophecy. And if we don't understand that, then we'll come up with different interpretations. We'll come up with, with different you know, um, applications or, or interpretations exactly how the end-time scenario is going to happen. And we have seen, uh, as you have studied the Old Testament, as we've traveled through the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, we'll continue to see it, that it's very clear to me that there is that promise that God's going to keep with Israel and he will restore Israel that time when they're going to recognize that the Lord, uh, you know, it, that Jesus is their Mashiach. And even as Zechariah chapter 10, we'll, we'll mention that on Sunday, that they will look at him and where did you get those wounds? And he said, I got these wounds as they mourn for the one who was pierced. And we need to uh, keep in mind that that's going to be a literal fulfillment of the scriptures. There are many, many verses, whole chapters that talk about Israel coming back into the land, being restored as a physical nation, but also the spiritual restoration of Israel. And we see that even with Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 11, when he says, in that day of all Israel will be saved. And so it's important for us to know what the scripture says concerning the restoration of Israel. And in verse 2, as we read, we read that after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that he, we may live in his sight. Interesting verse. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, as Peter was talking about the return of the Lord, we read that uh, as he writes, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And some have used that 
as a formula to say when the Lord's going to come back. Matter of fact, I remember uh, 21 years ago when uh, we moved from 1999 to 2000. There are those who are saying the Lord's going to come back in 2000 uh, because uh, 2000 years of the church. And they would use even this verse here that uh, two days he will revive us on the third day he will raise us up. That's when the rapture is going to happen. And of course, we know that um, that as they used Peter and they put this together, there are those who will put formulas together to predict the day of the rapture of the church, you know, the return of the Lord. Jesus makes it very clear. No one knows the day or the hour, and we need to leave it there. But it is an interesting verse uh, that as in context, he's talking about them coming back, and he's talking to them about raising them up once again. Uh, he says that uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, even though that you have been stricting, you're going to be, you know, uh, he will bind us up. Uh, he will revive us. And we know that as we look at this, that he desired to raise up the nation as well. And his heart is to raise us up, to raise us up um, as we come to him, as we come to him and give our hearts to him. So here is this, this promise that is given to them as he's speaking to the nation. Um, we need to keep watching, keep being discerning. Some say that this is a prophecy of Jesus' resurrection on the third days. But we, as we are raising that new resurrected life and the newness of life as we come to him. So verse 3, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord, his going forth, is established as the morning, and he will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rains to the earth. So let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Now remember in chapter 4, if you've been with us in our study, that there was no knowledge of God in the land. There was no truth. And the people, as Hosea is given the words of the Lord, there's no uh, truth, and my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. His going forth, that time when he restores the nation, that they once again will be established in his word. So let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. First of all, that's a great application for you and for me, that we need to pursue the knowledge of the Lord. I want to know God's word. I want to know his heart. And that's going to benefit me and bless me and help me experience that abundant life that he has for me. And the Lord, his going forth established as the morning. When we see the sun come up in the morning, we know that another day is established, isn't it? And as we know the knowledge of the Lord, it will establish us. We are established. Remember that it was the message that Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, that said to Ahaz, who was a terrible king, Ahaz, here's the word of the Lord. And if you don't believe the word of the Lord, you will not be established. And if we don't believe the word of the Lord, we won't be established. In other words, strengthen and have peace and have wisdom. We all, I think, want to be established. And as we have the knowledge of the Lord and as we have the Lord in our lives and in our hearts, you and I as Christians, we are established. Listen, always remember that because maybe you feel like I'm on shaky ground. I feel like everything's falling apart. Where's this world coming to? Man, you and I as Christians, we're established because we have the knowledge of the Lord. We know where everything is going to be headed. We know our future is with the Lord in heaven. 
And, and we have a glorious, glorious, you know, promise that is awaiting us, the blessed hope. We know that if we, uh, is our last day or tomorrow, that we'll go home to be with the Lord. But we do know that the Lord's promises are true for us. So we can be established. We don't have to be like Ahaz, who's trying to figure everything out on his own and, and full of stress and running around. And I'm going to come up with my own plan. Hey, Lord, you establish me through your word, Lord, as I know you, as I pursue you, as I hear from you. And Lord, you will establish me. And in verse 4, as O Ephraim, a name for Israel, the ten order and tribes, what shall I do with you? And listen, this isn't, you know, anger, what shall I do with you? Um, it is, O Ephraim, what shall I do with you? A brokenhearted father, O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So he continues talking about the knowledge of God, and in these verses God wants to be known by them, and also in that to be obedient to him. More than just all the spiritual activity. Now keep in mind, there was religion that was going on. They had idol worship that was taking place. We're going to see he's going to mention that. And they would mix that in with, with you know, Judaism, with, uh, you know, the feast and the sacrifices and the offerings that they did, the Sabbaths that they would celebrate. We saw that again very clearly that was taking place in the house of Judah. But there, there was a given over to idols and there was a given over to that which was false. And he says, I want you to know me, and I want you to be obedient to me, uh, I, not just your activity. Uh, we know that it was Saul, the first king of Israel, that in Second Samuel chapter 15, when he came back from that battle of the Amalekites, he didn't do all that the Lord wanted him to do. And he was wanting to uh, build himself up and be seen in the sight of the people. And, and it was Samuel, the prophet, that came to him and said that, Saul, it's better to obey than the sacrifice. It's better to obey than the sacrifice. David wrote in Psalm 51, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These are God you will not despise. He wants us to know him, have a heart, a, a, a humble heart before him, a contrite heart before him, and a heart that will turn to him. And so here he says, isn't it interesting, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That may sound familiar to you because we've seen that twice in Matthew. When Jesus was eating dinner with the tax collectors and sinners over at Matthew's house, when Matthew was called to follow him, and the religious leaders are all upset. And, you know, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, I didn't call the righteous but sinners to repentance. For go and learn what this means. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We saw it again in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, when the religious leaders were disputing with uh, Jesus concerning the Sabbath and over the Sabbath. And Jesus said, for the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And what Jesus was saying to them is that your guys' heart isn't right. And God desired, he has shown his mercy to this nation, but judgment eventually would come. 
And the Lord here is saying, go and learn what this means. We know that uh, as he would, as we saw on Sunday in Matthew 23, he would give that series of woes against the religious leaders. You know, you devour widows' houses. You just want to be seen of men. You are ones that you keep people from coming to me, Jesus would say, to the Lord, to the truth. You're ones that are like whitewashed tombs. You're polished on the outward, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. And these, even though there was activity of religion and religiousness that was taking place in their rituals and their sacrifices, it was Isaiah that said later that the Lord says, I'm sick of your sacrifices, uh, you know, and all of this. I don't acknowledge it because it's not done in truth. It's not done in honoring me. So we can have religion. You know, there are people that, uh, and we'll talk more about it, that, you know, well, if I just sin, I'll just go to confession or I'll just do these penance, you know, and, and do penance. Whatever the case may be, the Lord desires for us to obey. It's better to obey than to sacrifice. Yes, we have forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but he wants a heart towards him. He wants us to pursue his knowledge and his wisdom, and wisdom is not just knowing his word, but having it worked out in our own lives. We continue in verse 7, but like man, they transgressed the covenant and they dealt treacherously with me. Uh, rather than pleasing God, the people had broken the covenant and had been unfaithful. And it leads to, as we read the rest of the chapter, Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood and bands of robbers lie in wait for man. So the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. Isn't that interesting? So the company of priests murder on the way. Shechem, I mean the religious leaders. Uh, There is violence in the land. Lawlessness. People doing what was right in their own eyes. Ramoth, Gilead, and Shechem were cities of refuge. They did great violence, and blood filled the streets. We know that as we go into the Olivet Discourse, that Jesus, uh, one of the things that he said for the signs is that the love of many will grow cold and lawlessness will abound. And I think we're starting to see that as the love of God. And it's interesting that word love is agape. We'll look at that in Matthew But as the love towards God grows cold, then lawlessness and sin begins to run rapid. And here, this is what was going on. And then not only did he give a warning to Israel, but to Judah as well. And he he gives that that word that when I return the captives of my people, and I believe it's a reference to Judah that would come back. Because the house of Israel is interesting. When they were taken off into captivity by the Assyrians... What the Assyrians did is they brought some of their people. They didn't take every single person away captive. There were some that were left in the land, and they would send people into the ten northern tribes, and they would intermarry with the Jews. And the result of that, as we know from the New Testament, was the Samaritans. And that's why there's so much animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they mixed in the Assyrians, some of the Assyrians' beliefs at that time with Judaism. And you see that even with the Assyrians uh, or with the Samaritans in Jesus' days. He's there conversing with that woman at the well of Jacob in John chapter 4. 
And it's a study for another day, but they had their own temple. They had their own belief. The Samaritans weren't allowed to come to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, just uh, what had happened is there was this, uh, this Assyrians coming in. And, and then, you know, those captives really never came back. We know that the house of Judah, that they would come back after 70 years with Zerubbabel and rebuild the temple. So all this warning is given, it continues in chapter 7. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered and the wickedness of Samaria. For they have committed fraud. A thief comes in and a band of robbers takes spoils outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They are before my face. So here, as we move into this chapter, uh, we're going to see that Israel is going to be likened to, first of all, um, a half-baked cake. Uh, second of all, as a silly dove. And then thirdly, as a deceitful uh, bow. And God wanted to bring mercy and healing to them if they would just turn to him. And they had forgotten that the Lord saw and remembered their sin. That can happen to us. That we get involved in sin, we get on the road of sin and carnality, and nothing is really happening. Everything seems to be going okay, just as it was in the nation with our own lives. And we think it's okay, nothing's going to happen. And we forget that the Lord sees it all. He remembers it all. And we need to be aware of that. And that's what part of living in the fear of the Lord is all about, is that we reverence God. Part of living in the fear of the Lord is, Lord, you see everything. It's not an unhealthy terror of the Lord, but Lord, I reverence you. You are almighty God and you see everything. Nothing is hidden from you. All my thoughts, all my actions, you see it all. And I want to be aware of that. And Lord, not to to think that you don't see or you don't care. Um, That uh, I I don't need to be convicted. Nothing's happening. It's, it's, It's a deception that will come to us. And here he's reminding them that I remember your sin. I see it all. And and I want you to turn to me. I want to show mercy to you. But you wouldn't. And for you and for me, when the Lord convicts us, we never want to get to that place where our hearts are so hard or we're so unaware of, you know, the Lord that that sees all, knows all. We're not getting away with sin. You know, don't think that, that he doesn't care or it doesn't matter or any of that kind of thought. It is, yes, he wants us to repent and turn to him. And our sin will find us out. And there will be repercussions and consequences if we continue in sin. And we know that the Lord, he chastens us because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to continue down that road of sin. Verse 3, they make a king glad with their wickedness and princes with their lives. Interesting verse, the rulers delighted in the sins of the people. They, They benefited from it. And they're all adulterers, like an oven heated by a baker. He causes stirring in the fire after kneading the, the dough until it is leavened. Uh, seen, um, you know, here the, the adulteries, uh, adulterers throughout this book. The nation of Israel was a nation of adulterers. Leaven is mentioned here. Leaven, of course, is a picture of sin in the scripture. We've talked about that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians that you need to purge out the leaven. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Jesus, you recall in the Gospels, he said, beware of the leaven of, of the Pharisees. Uh, and, and so it, he told uh, the parable of the leaven also as well. So we've talked about that. Sin has spread throughout the nation just as leaven spreads through 
the, the loaf of, of, of bread that is being baked. And in the day of our king, princes have made him sick, inflamed with wine. He stretches out his hand with scoffers. They prepare their hearts like an oven while they lie in wait. Their baker sleeps all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. They are all hot like an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen. None among them calls upon me. So they turn away from God and there is this because of this moral decay. And they are inflamed, it says, with passion, with desire for the idols, for sin and for wickedness, for the violence that was going on. Like coals of a freshly stoked fire ready to bake the bread. One of the things about that carnality and having a heart of con carnality and sin is that it's like a fire burns, a person that burns with lust, a person that burns with anger, a person that burns with sin. And one of the things about a fire is it just demands more. It demands more fuel and it wants to burn hotter and that's what was going on. So, you know, they had gotten away from the Lord, inflamed with desire and passion, wanted more idols, sin and wickedness, rather than turning away from the Lord. And in verse 8, Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim, a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, but they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all it is. So Ephraim, a cake unturned, the idea is a half-baked cake. And that's how they would bake the cakes. They would bake it, and, and then they would flip it over, kind of like a pancake. We cook pancakes. And they were thinking, as they here mixed themselves among the people, Ephraim, that they could serve the idols and also mix in a little bit of the Lord with it. You might recall that Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 18, that he told the children of Israel, he said, listen, how long are you going to be between two opinions? If Baal is God, then worship him. If Jehovah is God, you need to worship him. But you can't be between two opinions. You can't mix these things up. So Ephraim mixing himself with false idols and messages and, and leaders and all of that, false beliefs, and trying to mix it in with, with a little bit of the Lord, and it doesn't work. The Old Testament talks about you don't mix wool and, and linen, a, a cotton. You don't mix seeds. Uh, we live in an agricultural area, and you see a field of corn. You see a field of onions. You see a field of beets. Uh, the people that farm just don't mix all the seeds and throw it out there and here's some corn growing with onions, growing with the other crops, the wheat, whatever it might be. You don't mix the seeds up. You don't mix an oxen with a mule. You don't yoke them together. It, it won't work. And so he's saying you're mixing, you know, uh, these idols with, with, you know, a little bit of Judaism. And it, it doesn't work. And you don't know it. And you're not really seeking me is, is what's taking place. We do know that in the New Testament, that Paul picks up on this idea of being mixed together with unbelievers. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And, or what part is the believer with an unbeliever? And he goes on and he says that, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, 
Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. So we're called to come out of the world, you know, not to have a little bit of world, not to have a little bit of the Lord. And it's a miserable place to be. If you're like Elijah said, you got your one foot, you're straddling the fence, two opinions, you got one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, you got too much of the world to really have that peace and enjoy the Lord and, and experience that abundant life, and you got too much of the Lord to be happy in the world. And so it's just a bad place to be. So they were unaware of their condition as they're being told that they were in. They were burned and ruined. They were, their strength was devoured. They were aging here. They were becoming weak. They were prideful. They were prideful. And, and the thing is, when the Lord brings conviction to us, we need to receive that conviction. It is always to draw us to him. The enemy condemns. When he condemns, and he'll come and condemn us because he's the accuser of the brethren, he accuses us day and night. He always does that to push us away, to push us away from the Lord. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we can be thankful for the conviction of the Lord to draw us to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I confess it's wrong, and I need to turn to you and, and not have, you know, uh, this mix, you know, of the world and, and of the Lord. It won't work. Lord, I want you to truly be the Lord of every area of my life. And let's continue in verse 11. Ephraim was also like a silly dove. So now this picture of a silly dove, without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like birds of the air and will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. So like a dove, flying around, no direction, confused is what they're like. They turn to other nations, and God will capture them in his net of judgment. He will chastise them, and they oftentimes, as we've already seen this going through the major prophets, that they would turn to Assyria, uh, to Assyria for help. They would turn to Egypt for help with no prevail. They turned to Ethiopia for help rather than turning to the Lord. In verse 13, Woe to them, for they have fled from me, this destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart when they wailed upon their bed. So God has redeemed them, delivered them from the bondage, sustained them in the wilderness, brought them into the promised land, defeated their enemies, and now they've spoken lies against me. They do not turn or cry out to the Lord. They're crying on their beds for food, and there was famine, but they continued to rebel. There was a pity party. There are people today, and being a pastor for, in full-time ministry for 30 years, people have been blessed by the Lord. He's blessed them. Uh, they uh, have received the mercy of the Lord, and then they pursue the world. They pursue sin, and then they have a pity party because of the consequences of it. Or why didn't the Lord stop it? Why didn't the Lord didn't do this? Well, because you did your own thing, and you pursued sin, and there's going to be consequences for it. Ignoring God, turning you know, your, against the Lord, and going your own way. And, and we see a nation you know, that's doing that. We are a nation that is founded upon biblical, godly principles. And as we turn further away from the Lord, as we see the consequences, you know, God, why would God allow this and, and all this? Because you don't want the Lord in our nation. You know, our nation says we don't want you in our schools, we don't want you in our governments, we don't want you in our courts, we don't want you 
to say prayers before a high school football game. We don't want any nativity scenes. We don't want the word Christmas. And we'll be seen in dealing with that as we uh, will head closer um, to Christmas. All those things, just a pushing away of uh, the Lord out of our culture. And we're going to experience the consequences of it. And then verse um, 15, though I discipline and strengthen their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They're like a treacherous uh, bow, uh, bow. Their, their princes shall fall by the sword, for their cursings in their tongue, and they shall be their garrison in the land of Egypt. So they didn't turn to God. They saw a problem, but they didn't see their sin. And that happens a lot of times. People, they know there's a problem, but they don't connect it to the sin that they are involved in. And then, as for the cursing of their tongue, they shall be a garrison in the land of Egypt. Chapter 8, set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. So the trumpet was sounded. When you go to the book of Numbers, I believe it's Numbers chapter 10, that they would blow the trumpet, the two silver trumpets, and it would give a message to the congregation. And one of the, the messages that they would give was to assemble the people for war. Well, here the trumpet is blown to gather the Assyrians to come down and swoop upon Israel, the house of Israel, like an eagle. And Israel will cry to me, verse 2, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. And so they'll cry out, We know you, Lord. But they didn't really know the Lord. They didn't have relationship with him. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus gave an interesting statement. He said that there's going to be many, not a few, but many that will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many miracles and works in your name? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And I get people that ask me about that all the time because they, they get concerned. They say, wow, you know, is, is, you know, what does that mean? And what it means is the key is the Lord says, I never knew you. You can have a lot of God talk and religious talk, and we do this in the name of Jesus, but they don't have true relationship with him. And Jesus warns against that. And then in verse 4, they set up kings, but not by me. They make, made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. Uh, from the silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? From, from Israel to even this, a workman made it, and it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken into pieces. So they had made, when Jeroboam I, after the ten northern tribes broke away from, uh, from Judah, and Jeroboam uh, was the first king of of the house of Israel. He had fled to Egypt during the reign of Solomon. And he was there. And I'm sure he picked up all this idol worship. And he comes back and he says, hey, let's build two temples and Dan, one in Bethel, to the golden calf. And you can go there and you can see the excavations of the one in Dan. We've been there many times in our trips to Israel. But it kept people from going to Jerusalem to worship there. And the people had rejected God's law, uh, which was good. They had rejected him, who is true. And now God says, I will reject your golden idols, and they will be broken into pieces. And unfortunately, as the Assyrians come, you're going to be broken into pieces as well. For they sow the wind and weep the whirlwind. They 
the stock has no bud. It shall never produce meal if it should produce aliens would swallow it up. So just judgment comes like a whirlwind. Uh, wind does a lot of destruction in a hurricane, in a tornado. The Assyrians are going to come and swallow you up. We saw in Ezekiel that the Babylonians, when it came to the house of Judah, that they were likened to an east wind that's going to come in and cause destruction to you. And Israel swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles, verse 8 tells us, like a vessel in which is no pleasure. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them. And they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. And so they're now like a vessel um, that is worthless. A donkey that has gone astray in you know, its own stubbornness and foolishness. Uh, you've taken after the harlots, going after other lovers. And they had sought aid from the king of Assyria. You read about that in Second Kings chapter 15, for example. And, and that was short-lived. Um, listen, you don't make a deal with the enemy. It was uh, Ahaz that he made a, a, a covenant with Assyria. Hey, attacked Syria attacked Israel, uh, took gold and silver and, and from the temple and paid them off. And the Assyrians would con come after Ahaz. They continued to come. Hezekiah, who was a good king, initially did that because he was afraid of the Assyrians. But it was then when Hezekiah, as you read about his reign, that he went to the Lord when the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem and the king of Assyria was hurling threats and it looked like they were going down but the Lord sent an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. The Lord is our help. Always remember that. And he is the one that hears us and he sees us. And he's almighty God that can work in any situation that we find ourselves in. So here they, we don't make a, a covenant, you know, a peace treaty with the enemy. Because he's going to lie to you and he's going to deceive you. And he's still going to come after you. That's what he wants to do. He's a master deceiver and liar. He's a murderer is what Jesus says. And in verse 11, because Ephraim has made many altars for sin. They have become for him the altars for sinning. And I've written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. And they shall return to Egypt. What God has said to them, his law was strange to them. And, and it can be true today. We can quote God's ways, and, and which are good to people and is strange to people. We don't want to do that. We don't want to follow after that. We're going to do our own thing. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah has multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour his palaces. So the sacrifices were in sin and idolatry. The Lord did not accept them. They had been in bondage to Egypt. God had brought them out, and they were going to go back to bondage because of their sin. They had forgotten their maker. And Judah was trusting in fortified cities against Assyria rather than trusting the Lord, and judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. So the lesson tonight is to hear the conviction of the Lord, to not mix in the world and in our lives and, and thinking that we can be between two opinions. The Lord wants all of our hearts. He wants us to pursue the knowledge of the Lord and to trust Him in, in the difficult times 
that we find ourselves in, that the Lord desires for us to turn to him, to trust in him, to know him, and to see his faithfulness in our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this, this important lesson that is given to us, these three chapters. There's a lot here. And, Lord, I pray that we would be ones that we have a heart after you. You desire mercy and not sacrifice. You desire for us, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Not just to try to be religious, and, but Lord, to really have a heart, a contrite heart, a broken heart before you. That we be broken over our sin. To know that, that Lord, you see all and you know all. And Lord, that our hearts would not be divided. We, we would have a heart towards you. And that's what you want. You want our hearts. You want our time, our devotion, and to trust in you and your ways. And so, Lord, help us to do that, to continue growing in the word and being strengthened in you in every day. And when we face those difficult times and challenges, when it seems like the, those things surround us and overwhelm us, that, Lord, that we can look to you. You're our defender. You're our place of stability. At the ends of the earth, we can cry out to you, even as David said, when my heart is overwhelmed and you hear us. And so, Lord, I pray you work in the lives of us, looking to you, trusting you in everything, having a heart for you, and to remember your way. And, and Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, just help us to hear your voice and be like David who said, here's my heart, try me and test me. And if there's anything that is there, that we would turn away from it. So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. I pray you bless everyone here. And Lord, uh, bless our weekend services that will be coming up. Look forward to continuing in the Word of God and fellowshipping and worshiping you, Lord. And so we just uh, are very grateful for your blessings and you freeing us from Egypt. That is, we're free from Egypt, the world, a picture of the world. And we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We belong to a kingdom that lasts forever. So we thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on